welcome to Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here. Today we have Jennifer Bates, the Artistic Director of the DH Ensemble. This is a funny one for me as Jen and I are very close friends and we've known each other a really long time so this style of conversation was kind of different for both of us. Throughout this interview you'll hear Jen's little girl, she's a year and a half old and she makes some brilliantly timed sound effects throughout. Um, so any little gurgles and things that you hear and goo-goos and all of that, well not really goo-goos because she's not that little anymore, but yeah lots of little words, it's perfectly timed as I say. So sit back, relax and enjoy the next wee while with the three of us. Okay, just say something normal now. Um, that's me talking normally, <laughs> that was my podcast voice. <laughs> So open, it's actually quite odd because if I'm getting interviewed for like a, I'm, on, I'm on, yeah, I'm you're on. on. Great, hi everyone. My name's Jennifer K. Bates. <laughs> um, yeah, this is just odd because if I was on the radio or something, I'm plugging a show, mm-hmm. but because this is such open conversation, yeah, I'm like, oh no, what am I gonna say? <laughs> yeah, I'm probably also quite tricky because we know each other so well, yes, which is so it is a bit like I would just have a chat with Elaine, but the kind of conversation I would have with Elaine is not something that I would want. <laughs> then maybe we don't want the world to hear. No. But that's okay. We'll give you some of our insights. Um, okay, so yeah. Jen, yes. this is weird also for me because I'm interviewing my besties. Yeah. But like, hi there, what have you been up to? Um, but actually, what have you been up to? So let's start there. All right, well, that's the kind of thing I can talk about. So uh, I run a theatre company called the DH Ensemble. So that stands for the Deaf and Hearing Ensemble. So we're a group or a team, rather, of professional artists, actors, writers, dancers, performers, um, directors, lighting designers, um, who make... That's my wee one in the background. Uh, who make theatre, live theatre, that includes BSL or spoken English or projected captions um, or video projection. Um so we made that kind of work and I have just finished making um, Matilda and the Orange Balloon. Um, so Matilda and the Orange Balloon is our first piece of theatre aimed towards young audiences. So children aged three to eight. Um, and it's adapted from a kid's book uh, by Randall Desfain. Um, and Jen's little girl is just coming up towards the table just now but we're just going to keep going because she's super cute and she wants to join the party (laughs) just going to keep going because this is the realities of being a freelancer and a mother and this is my office yeah so welcome to my office we're in my flat right now so um uh, yeah, so Matilda in the Orange Balloon was made um, down in London and then it went on uh, a little bit of a tour um, and it's just finished the first leg of its tour and um, we're having a little break and then we go back into rehearsals in May and then it does another couple of venues uh, and then hopefully it'll have a bit of a life after that as well because uh, it's great. Well, I think it's great, and it's getting really well received. So, <laughs> Caitlin also just wants Auntie Elaine's phone, which oh, yeah. is, and now we're onto the laptop cover. It's yeah. all good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Jen. So you were talking about this being the first show that you've created for children. Yes. What made you decide to do that? Uh. Oh, that's such a good question. Um. So we've been making um work for adult audiences for uh quite a bit now since two thousand and thirteen. Um. And we made a show um, for Liberty Festival that was an outdoor piece called Notice Tollens. And uh, that was kind of for everyone um, because it was outdoors. You didn't know who you were going you were gonna get watching um, as you're performing, uh, just because of you know, the nature of the game. And um, we found that the kids, the young audiences, were really receptive to what we were doing because it's so visual and so expressive and kind of, um, you know, we explore so many different ways of communication and kids are masters at that. Um, mm. And uh, also this really limited um, number of, of performances aimed at young deaf children. So um, 
deaf audiences have uh, limited access to theatre as it is. And then once you put in, you know, young audiences into that, then, you know, the number of professional theatre companies making that kind of work is, is tiny. Um, and it's kind of felt we were we were ready for that challenge. And a, f- a friend of mine, a colleague of mine who I met doing my master's course, um, Jessica Kaufman, came to me with the idea because her and I have got similar, you know... Um, aims within our work I guess and uh, she is a, a children's theatre specialist um, and she had had this idea for making Matilda in the Orange Balloon and it was using a lot of projection and she had this idea that um, the cat, the actor playing Matilda would be a deaf actor and Matilda wouldn't use voice at all but would use a lot of gesture so then when Jess and I chatted about my work and her work, my work and her work. And it just felt like it was a really natural um, marriage, if you like, to put the two of them together. And I had said, yeah, Matilda can absolutely be deaf. Um, but what if we allow Matilda to sign in BSL? Um, and why doesn't Deech Ensemble make that, make that show and do it with our kind of... Um, aesthetic and uh, all of the aims of the company and the ethos of the company and uh, Jess was totally up for it Jess was really excited by that we, at that time we had um, our show People of the Eye out in London so she had seen some of the work we were making got really excited about it but that was that was like three, two, three years ago so it takes it took us a bit of time to get all that together but uh it was always really, it always felt really important and really mm-hmm. valuable to give it that time. Um, Did you know the story before Jess had introduced you to no, it? No, not at all. Um, it's great. It's one of those kids' books that um, you're like, how did I not know this story? Because it's really lovely. Um, but it is actually currently out of print in the UK right now. Ah, okay. Um, we're hoping to get it back in print. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Um, so it's a US? Yeah, 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 yeah. The writer is based in New York. Great. Um, we can put a link to that. Oh, fab. In the bio for this. Great, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a really lovely book um but really people don't know about it in the uk so it's nice to to bring that to an audience so yeah yeah great i mean you said that you did your master's can you just tell us why you decided to Uh, as a mature student (laughs) i didn't say that that was your choice (laughs) um yeah definitely um so my my story goes (laughs) (laughs) uh so for those of you that don't know elena and i studied many years ago many years ago um, uh, Langside College and we studied acting and performance so we both came out of that as actors and performers Mm -hmm. Um, and I did that for a while and then I fell in love with British Sign Language and then wanted to combine the two Um, and I ended up working at Solar Bear Theatre Company in Glasgow and I will forever be grateful to Solar Bear Theatre Company for the opportunities that I got working there because that was when I started uh, working in the way that I work with with the multiple languages um, and started directing actually Um, and then I moved down to London for various reasons and um, I was yeah uh, starting to make work down in London with deaf artists as well so that was the launch of the DH Ensemble I pretty much moved down to London and then three years three years three months later there was a theatre company Mm. um and so I was making work and I really I keep going back to this idea of a duty of care and what is my duty of care as a director or as a maker of theatre and I think I've got a duty of care to for me to be the best that I can be so I can encourage everyone else to be the best that they can be so we can make the best work that we can make um, and I was reading a lot and trying to kind of self-educate um, and that's that's a brilliant thing to do um, mm-hmm. but for me I'm 
the kind of person that needs lots of people in a room to learn. Yeah. And I need <laughs> I need people to tell me lots of things. Um, and uh, I love meeting people and I love um, questioning people and their experiences and, and all that they know. And I just started Googling, you know, postgraduate courses and or just it was a, actually you know just short a short course that I did. That's right, you did that ten week yeah, course. Yeah, it was a wee short course that I did in um, at Central, um, in directing, and then kind of fell in love with the all of it. I kind of just I love being a cla- in a classroom as well, um, and yeah, it's very. You are a fan of the learning. I do. I love it. I love it. Um, and then so this MA advanced theatre practice and because it wasn't really specific towards one uh, thing it wasn't like you know a, a master's in directing or a master's in um, dramaturg or any of that it was kind of um, uh, the idea of the course is that it's just all these people with all these different skills coming together and you basically just make work um, and you explore work and you talk about work and then you make something else and you explore that and you talk about that and you make something else and you explore it. And it's just um, really exciting to be in that kind of space for 12 months. Mm. Um, and it was really nice uh, f- because it's quite easy to get tired mm-hmm. and empty. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just really nice to kind of go, no, I'm taking this time to nurture and nourish. And actually within those 12 months, you know, you're hugely encouraged to make your own work outside of, of school as well. Although, you know, it's a full-time course and all of that. But um, I just decided that was my commitment to do it all. And uh, they both fed into each other as well. Yeah. You know, when... When I was making work, because that was when I met Erin, who brought People of the Eye onto the DH Ensemble table, and she's now the creative producer of the DH Ensemble and doing fabulous things with it. But you were older than some people in your class? I was definitely one of the oldest. Okay, so being one of the oldest and... You were married when you went down, so mm. you already had a husband and all of that, so mm-hmm. you know, like, at a certain point, you're in that next phase of life. Mm-hmm. Did you find it really difficult after you finished your course? Was there a huge adjustment again to come back to... No. No? Were you ready? Actually, it was amazing. <laughs> well, because I had made... I had made such a decision to do the Masters, right? Like, I'm going to take a year out and I'm going to do this. So, you know, there's lots of um, things that come along with that. You know, thinking about the financial... Um, aspect of all of a sudden we go from two full-time wages coming in to the house to me kind of doing a bit of you know odd Saturday job when I could you know living in London yeah so you know taking all that into consideration it was a big commitment me doing this master's and I'd always said I'm not just gonna do it just to do it I'm gonna do it to excel in it like I I will be there every single day and I will put all of my effort into it and I will, you know, read all the books in the library. (laughs) I'm going to watch everything. And um, so when I finished the Masters, um, I just felt really ready to get back in, get back into doing the thing Mm -hmm. again in the world. But the, the joy of the Masters was that you meet so many different people throughout it and somehow you I found myself being really confident in a way that I wasn't before doing the masters. Like when I'm a sh- when I had the label of being a student, it was almost like I had given myself permission to ask the questions or approach the people to ask the questions. Whereas maybe before in certain networking events or whatever, I was like, oh, I need to be a certain way and I need to act a certain way, and I'm not really allowed to ask the questions. That's really interesting. I know it's and it's so funny. And actually, just in reflection as well, and going back to Matilda and the Orange Balloon, um, because this is the first piece of work that I have made for children. I've done a lot of work with children. I've made, um, you know, been teaching forever, um, and I love that side of my career. Um, But I really felt like 
duty of care again. Mm-hmm. I've got to do this well. So I like approached Pete at the Polka Theatre to come in and be um, an outside eye for me. Uh, and this brilliant woman, Rachel Barnett, who is a writer and, well, many other things as well. But she um, is an expert in making children's theatre. So I kind of approached these um, experts and and it's, it's you know it's just quite funny because I think the masses gave me the confidence to do that the, the masses gave me the confidence to always give myself permission to ask the questions to to not pretend I, I know it all all the time you know I think I th- I've probably pretended that in the past and I've made some mistakes that could have been rectified if I'd ask the question okay um do you think that's a societal thing though or do you think that or a personality thing or or (laughs) is it a gender thing um possibly (laughs) yeah uh yeah i mean i'd love to know like if um, any of our male allies would like to chip in on this at some point and see if they feel it the same way it's just Maybe it's a mixture of all of it, right? Yeah, maybe it is. Um, and there's something as well about like hmm, entitlement. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it coincides with the idea of permission or giving yourself permission. Giving yourself permission to be in that space. Giving mm-hmm. yourself permission to, to take up room. That's definitely a gender thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, entitlement. I am entitled to make this kind of work and I'm entitled to ask these questions maybe I'd sort of gone oh I better just get on with it yeah I better just get on with it and hope for the best um yeah yeah maybe I think maybe you're right in the societal thing as well like we do kind of we there is a fear sometimes of asking a question because it's you're making yourself vulnerable yeah in certain professional yeah situations so and you don't want people to doubt doubt your ability, your ability. exactly. Um, Even though that actually asking a question isn't totally got anything to do with your ability. It's yeah. about being thoughtful and, as you say, having a duty of care and yeah, making sure that everybody's on the same page and that you're you're on the right path with what you're doing. Yeah, well, yeah, that, the right path. That's an interesting phrase. Isn't it? What is the right path? Don't know. Oh well. For you, <laughs> what is the right path? Oh well. Oh, I, okay. Well, yeah. That, yeah. That is. That is. Not. Not like for the right path for the show that you're making. The right path for you in that moment. I, I'm just not using the J word. We're not going on a journey. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know what the J word was. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. There's so many. I don't even want to journey. Know. Okay, great. No. Uh, um. Yeah, I guess we can absolutely talk about gender, or we can absolutely talk about the individuals, because what makes, oh gosh, I mean, throw in the idea that you're Scottish as well. Well, I was, yeah. And where's your sense of entitlement? There. There, you know, because so. I mean, this is a mass generalization. I'll talk personally. Um, when you've been brought up in a certain way and you think that what what makes you good how you know what even am I trying to say the We're idea that you're not good enough or the idea that you know just get a, get a proper job <laughs> <laughs> oh. yes yeah um, I just had that from basically my entire family Oh, really? Yeah, they'd all clearly been having a wee chat about me. So, guys, if you're listening, I know you were all talking about me. A wee intervention. I got from a... Oh, from my sister, my mum, and my gran. Wowzers. Yeah. Okay. Do you not think you should just get a nine-to-five job? It's so funny, isn't it? Because the idea of a nine-to-five job... um, There's so many jobs out there... That aren't nine to five. Yeah. Like your mum doesn't have a nine to five job. No, she doesn't. Neither <laughs> does my dad. Yeah. So 
or your sister because she is part time because well, she's she, the yeah, only she's, one. The, yeah, she works. Yeah, yeah. Um, just get a proper job. A though. proper, I think. Yeah, stability, right? You'd always rather. Well, no, you wouldn't. Some people would rather. Some people. Yeah. Was stable and safe. Rather than uh, questioning. <laughs> I'm pushing and pursuing and staying true to what you what you think you're doing to somehow make an impact mm-hmm. um there's yeah. also that thing because you mentioned about being scottish and you mm. know again mass generalization but it is something i think culture culturally that's not how you say it but you all know what i mean um where we are a bit like just remember where you came from. That's don't, it. Don't get too big for your boots. Yeah, all of those things. Um, and I wonder why that is. Why can't we be confident? And why can't we go, I've worked really hard to be here and I know. And why am I... Yeah. I find it really strange. Yeah. It, it, yes, it is. And um, I had this conversation fairly recently with an interpreter friend of mine, actually. And... Um, you know, from my point of view, she is uh, phenomenal, amazing, super, super intelligent, um, really beautiful insights and uh, lovely creativity in her work. Um, but she comes from generation upon generation upon generation that says, um, don't get too big for your boots, though. Yeah. You know, remember where you came from. And... It, yeah, it's always easier to notice it from the outside for somebody else, though, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but then, you know, mm. we can talk about Jess, uh, who I just finished doing Matilda in the Orange Balloon with, and she, you know, she is New York, and wow, that's a different, it's a different way, uh, <laughs> different approach to it all, and... She believes she can do anything. Mm-hmm. She absolutely believes American dream that um, it's it's all possible. And uh, yeah, like some so many brilliant mm. moments of our conversations were just interesting comparisons of where mm. what her view is and what and what mm. my view is, and and maybe and we're both we both identify as female. Um, but uh, I'm very Scottish. She's <laughs> very New York. Um, so, yeah, there's so so many other things to consider. Uh, yeah, it's an um, interesting conversation. I wonder what someone like, you know, Jackie Wiley or Vicky Featherstone would ask. It would answer if you asked that question. Yeah. If it was connection, connected to gender. I mean, I'm sure they have their own... Thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. All of their own little personal demons or whatever. Yeah, because we've all... Yeah, 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 yeah. We've all got them. But I wonder if it's connected to, to gender as well. Yeah. Or sex. I um, want yeah. to just jump back, actually, mm-hmm. to the fact that Jess is from New York and making a show with someone from that kind of different culture, that different energy. Mm. How was that? Oh my goodness. It was, it, it was, it was great. I mean, it's totally brilliant. Um, I mean, in my room, so the DH ensemble room, I looked around at one point and Erin is from New Zealand. Uh, Jess is New York. And Rachel Sampley, my lighting designer, is um, from South, South America, from the set. Um, and so completely different to the New York energy. Yeah. Um, uh, but for me, I mean, that it just it just makes it so exciting. I mean, mm. you know, I run a theatre company called the DH Ensemble. It's at its core about two cultures meeting head on. Yeah. Um, and what happens when that happens. It's brilliant. I would always encourage, encourage um, working with people who are different to you. I think um, 
it's 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 safe mm-hmm. to work with people who you know um and when i say you know i mean like who identifies with you in many different ways yeah it's safe and it it's nature right mm-hmm. like and and but i think for us to get a real reflection of what the society is and the world we live in and if theatre is meant to be a, a mirror to the world we live in it's got it's got to be more than just one person or one culture's opinion right one story absolutely I mean you know I, I know you know this and I know Persistent and Nasty is absolutely championing all of this and that you know it's so important and things are a change in mm-hmm. um but yeah like do like do uh-huh. more 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 oh yeah yeah caitlin agrees as well oh, gosh how does it feel when you look at caitlin and you think about that and you think about what are the stories that she's going to be seeing or that you hope that she's going to be seeing? yeah um yeah i want to tell her every story I can find. Let's meet as many different people as we can and hear their stories. Yeah. Let's um, expand our uh, book collection. Um, I was I was listening to um, something the other day and it was just about the the number of writers out there that are um, uh, people of colour, for example, mm-hmm. and the percentage is just so teeny tiny. Yeah. Um. But we need, well, yeah, like, we need more, <laughs> more, more, more. Um, so I think, yeah, for, for our young ones, we've absolutely got a responsibility to keep pushing that. Absolutely. Um, and pushing ourselves to, like, ask, ask the questions, uh, find out what the stories are, and then also have the courage to take a step back, mm-hmm. right? So um, I'm... I think when you get to a certain stage, your job is to champion other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got to say, right, I'll support you in this, but you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think particularly when, you know, you're working in some place like the DH Ensemble, it's always um, a conversation about the fact that I am hearing and I'm having these conversations um, and I'm very aware that I am the hearing person with the voice in this particular moment. So my role has got to be, but look at these amazing deaf people that I work with and let's talk, let's hear their opinions and let them tell the stories as well. Um, definitely. That's it. That's the point. Mm-hmm. So you set up the DH Ensemble, uh, originally the Deaf and Hearing Ensemble, yeah. in 2013, yes. not long after you'd moved to London, yes. uh, when she left me, guys, left me, yeah. I was <laughs> devastated. Um, and I want to ask, do you think you could have set it up in Scotland? Now, yes. Now, but not at that time? So at the time, um, there were two professional deaf performers uh, Ramesh my iPad uh, and Ramesh um, and Katrina were the only two oh and EJ EJ Raymond and um, I was working the deaf youth theatre and I was watching um, those guys uh, those people rather um, growing into young professionals and I was involved in the conversations with the conservatoire and those conversations resulted in the three-year degree course mm-hmm. um, for deaf people who wanted to professionally train as performers or artists, theatre makers. Um, so that course launched in, I want to say, 2013. So, yeah, it was 2014. I can't remember, you need to check that. So that course lasted three years. So those guys are now graduates and they are out in Scotland. Yeah. And they are ready. They are so ready to be employed. 
So absolutely, the Deitch Ensemble has c- can be here, like yeah. with and employ people who have who are here, who who live here, who have trained here. Absolutely, and yeah, get get the guys up from uh, the rest of the UK that we've worked with in the past. Like, yeah. I mean, again, <laughs> to be a deaf person in Scotland is different being a deaf person in England the similar same as it is you know for for hearing people um culture difference mm-hmm. regional differences mm-hmm. yeah um so let's see what happens when we bring all of them those people together um what kind of theater gets made then you know that that would be really exciting so yeah to, oh, an- to answer that question in in 2013 uh, it maybe wasn't possible Okay. Um, but it's definitely, definitely possible now. Great. <laughs> it's exciting. It's going to happen. What is your hope for... So what is your next project that you've got coming up? Ah! Oh, my goodness. So um, our next thing is our version of Macbeth. It's very exciting. By William Shakespeare. <laughs> I would have loved it if you'd have said by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> by a writer. I've never heard of. Um, and we've called it Fair is Foul. Um, and, Why? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we were throwing around so many different um, ideas. Um, but the idea of... Uh, that line, fair is foul and foul is fair, you know, um, it's all about the two and the mirror and the juxtaposition. Uh-huh. Um, and our version is um, spoken English in BSL. Mm-hmm. And we will have two Lady Macbeths and two Macbeths. Yep. And one deaf, one hearing, one deaf, one hearing. Um, but it's not to say the hearing person will only use voice and the deaf person will only use sign. Great. There's... Um, where where did they all meet and where do they all cross over? I'm doing a lot of gestures with my hands. <laughs> Nobody can see. But I can see, so it's okay. I know, it's so funny, isn't it? Um, talking with my hands. Um, yes, that is hopefully, hopefully happening towards the end of the year. Great. Yeah, it, it is exciting, really exciting. And, and are you just going to have a cast of four? Just four. And tell the story, wow. Uh, we will focus on the couple's relationship. Um, yeah, there's lo- yeah, lots of little elements in there um, that we're going to play with. Um, you know, I do love a do love a shadow, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> I I think there's something really exciting about the idea of light and dark as well. Well, mm-hmm. I mean Shakespeare talks about light and dark all the time in his work, but. Um, uh, yeah, something about light and dark, particularly when you're talking about a vi- or working with a visual language, because you literally can't understand what it is if you can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's about what do you um, hide and what you do you shine a light on, and actually sometimes maybe you don't want to shine mm-hmm. a light on something. You'd rather it was in the shadows. Um, so there's always kind of an extra element in the DH ensembles. Uh, performances uh like a, a third character that that is either in the projection or the set or you know even just the outside uh, for Nodus Tollins. Uh, so yeah I think for for Macbeth it'll be the the light. Okay that's our our third character in the space. Great. Yeah. It's really exciting. Really um guys you can go on to the DH Ensemble website and actually look at the trailer that they did during their R&D, and it's yes. really exciting. And Caitlin agrees. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was great fun, actually. We managed to do um, two weeks R&D down um, in London, and one of those weeks was at the National Studio as part of the New Work programme, which was really great, because the National Studio, the resources are just incredible, so we just had a blast for a week um so that's next <laughs> in 2019 and then hopefully that'll go on tour next year but the lovely thing about that is actually um when I first first moved down to London um and did 
a little bit of R&D with the Royal Shakespeare Company for a week. Um, we spent a day working on um, Henry V, a day working on Taming of the Shrew, and a day working on Macbeth. And um, out of that day came the idea for Ferrisville. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that was... Yeah, a long it's been a time, long time coming. It's a long time coming. Yes. Uh, but I don't think I could have made the show all those years ago. Okay. It's taken me till now to go, oh yeah, I'm now confident. Oh no. Oh no. To, to make this show. <laughs> um, Jen and I were just too busy focusing on Caitlin and how cute she is. Mm. Aren't you? Gonna change the world. Oh, I hope so. So just um just for our podcast listeners, can you tell us about a couple of your jobs over the last few years that you've really loved? <laughs> well, I would like to ask you a question. So uh-huh. when you were pregnant with Caitlin, yes, you were working on tribes in Sheffield yes. and you were away for quite a wee bit. How was that? Ah uh, well, thankfully the job was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it would have been a different story if the job hadn't been. Um, yes, yeah, so, and that was you were working with. So uh, I was assistant director to Kate Hewitt, who is just um, awesome. Um, like watching her direct is a masterclass in directing. Honestly, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, I was um six months pregnant and um. I got this lovely job down in Sheffield um, as her assistant director on the play Tribes by Nina Rain. Mama. And Mama. I remember Mama. I, I travelled down and uh, with my wee bump and sort of terrified myself like all of a sudden, like, what am I doing? Because this instinct kicked in that, like, I need to be closer to home. I need to be close to my hospital. What if anything was to happen? Like I had this like weird kind of freak out. Um, uh, but then the job itself um, was lovely. Um, and uh, it was really fruitful and exciting to be in that room and, you know, watching Kate and uh, the guys at Sheffield Theatres are totally brilliant um and i knew a couple of the cast members because i'd worked there with them in different things as well so um it, it, it was really great um so i'm really glad i had that experience uh but it was quite funny because it was kind of like oh this might be the last time i'll get to do this in a while uh. unbeknownst to me uh, when, when Caitlin was five months old, uh, we led the R&D for Matilda and the Orange Balloon down in Sheffield because um, of the relationship that I had established um, and some other reasons. And um, I had to figure out how to do that with the wee one. And uh, so I had to pull in some family members and a close friend <laughs> possibly a close friend who's sitting with me right now not mentioning any names um and uh, yeah these these people had to kind of come down Sheffield with me so I could um lead a room start a project um and have this ba- have the baby with me at 5 months old i mean it's crazy in so many ways. It was brilliant in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, looking back on it now, it feels like a total blur. Uh, yeah. And it's actually a year ago right now. I know. We were down. Gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does feel like a, a bizarre dream in a way. But it was brilliant and 
I found it, it, it was really worthwhile. I mean, I don't know if you would say that it was brilliant because there was a number of times where Caitlin was inconsolable. <laughs> <laughs> and all she needed was her mother's boob. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I could not help her with that. Yeah. And I There's no milk in my boobies. Coming down the hallway in the hotel, <laughs> just hearing her screaming. Obviously, hashtag mom guilt, like, bloody hell that is extreme that emotion they don't well they do tell you about that you just don't understand what that means before you experience it um but also you know just the question this again just how my role changed like I I was all of a sudden leading a room which was totally my happy place safe I knew what I was doing but then all of a sudden doing that with my mother-in-law in the room with my five-month-old and like how to manage that relationship you know when we talk about multitasking it was uh yeah and I, we did a similar thing when we were doing Macbeth R&D my mother-in-law father-in-law came down and then my mum and dad came down and you know I'm trying to negotiate that and trying to figure out manage how to manage all those relationships as well as you know, stepping up to the mum role at night time, like, you know, there's basically you're walking out that rehearsal room and I was having quick chats on the way home on my phone, but I couldn't really take my work home with me because I was having to do bath time and bedtime and actually in a way it was really lovely um, and kind of fueled my creativity because switching off does something to you, right? Like, actually, yeah. it was really beneficial yeah I think it is yeah uh, yeah but I learned from those experiences that um when I was making the full show when Matilda and the Orange Bloom was happening for realsies three weeks uh, in rehearsals down in London um with Caitlin who was at that point 16 15 months old I knew that her dad my other half um was needing to just come with me and be dad and co-parent and be the co-parent and do that and I had I said that all along I was like as soon as Matilda and the Orange Balloon has confirmed dates and the joy of you know running the company and being the director of the company is you kind of get to say when that is mm-hmm. uh, I think it's trickier if you're an actor it's trickier if you're an employed in any other kind of creative way and you don't get to make those decisions like you know practical things like when and where um Learned a lot. Learned a lot about how I work. I was going to ask you that. Has it changed you as a director? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I think I'm better for it. Thankfully, my goodness. <laughs> so I just want to ask you a really quick question um, in regards to the DH Ensemble mm-hmm. and why you started it. Uh, I, why I started the DH Ensemble... Um, I got excited by the possibilities um, of BSL and theatre. Caitlin oh. is struggling to take her <laughs> top off. Caitlin, if you come here, <laughs> mummy will help you. Look at the state of <laughs> She's like, come I here. will do it myself. Come She's got her wee arm stuck in her sleeve. Do you want mummy to help you? Should mommy, mommy help? Come on then, darling. Come here. Come over here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You want this off? You want this off? Okay, great. There you go. Happy days. Uh, so why I started the Deitch Ensemble? Um, I got, yeah, I got excited by British Sign Language. And, um... I remember watching an interpreter at the side of the stage in a show that I was in. And I remember thinking, that's kind of more interesting than what I'm doing. <laughs> and, uh, and and thought that, well, why is that not centre stage? Um, so then started looking for theatre companies that were making that kind of work and then realised that there were few uh, and then got excited by those companies and kind of wanted to work with all those different companies. And then uh, DYT, I managed to work at Deaf Youth Theatre and, and found a way of working and thought it lent, it lent 
itself well <laughs> to to lots of different stories and um Dejan Summer was a bit of an accident though actually. Uh, like that question. Why did you set up the company? I didn't mean to. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I did it by accident. It was. It was totally. Oh, I haven't, I haven't thought about this in ages, Elaine. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it was a bit of an accident. It was out of an R and D um, exploring Shakespeare that one, and I had two deaf actors and two hearing actors in the room, and then it was like, oh, this is this. Um, oh, I tell you what happened. Oh my goodness, it was so exciting. So, um, just, you know, one of those moments when you're like, oh, this is really right. This mm. feels good. A bit like what you were saying before about, you know, when you're on the right path, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and uh, I really struggled to find a deaf male actor, in even in London, because, like, a couple of the theatre companies that were making... Um, uh, work with deaf actors all had shows on it was really bizarre so basically everybody was employed <laughs> um but eventually found somebody but because I had to like kind of just put out the advert like everywhere like knocked on loads of different doors and was like do you know of any deaf actors that can come and do this with me um and people didn't know who I was but um they ended up sending me their CVs like um and lots of um uh, actors who identify as female as well, um, Sophie Stone, for example, uh, sent a wee message just, uh, you know, I'm not a male actor, but I could absolutely play Macbeth, and I know she could. Mm-hmm. Um, she definitely could. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not a male actor, but I could do this job if you felt like going down this route. Um, and I was like, well, that's an attitude I enjoy. Let's go with that. Um, it, by that point, I had pulled in somebody but anyway um I was like well Sophie um not this one but let's do something else and um I'd also chatted with uh, the unicorn theater down in London um and this fabulous woman named Jenny and I've since totally lost contact with her no idea where she is because her job ended up getting um cut at the unicorn I know she was like access officer or something amazing like that we had this really great chat. Um, Unicorn, why have you caught the access officer? I know. Oh, it was ages ago. It was ages and ages and ages yeah. ago. And, um, okay, well, maybe you've given it back. We'll, we'll, I don't know if they have, actually. Anyway, we'll have a conversation. Um, and but the Unicorn Theatre was super supportive of us. Uh, Jenny was super supportive. Uh, uh, well, at the point, it was just me. Just me banging on doors going, I want to bring some people into our room and see what happens and <laughs> they gave me the Judy Dench studio I knew you'd like that one Elaine I yep. knew you'd like that yep. one I loved it at the time I was so yeah, excited yeah, yeah. Caitlin has just appeared on the Judy Dench thing oh she she gosh. knows it yeah look at that wee face she knows it so <laughs> Judy Dench studio for a Saturday and a Sunday one random weekend in February 2013 and I put I can't this, believe that's 2013. It was crazy. And I put uh, this email to all these people who who had been employed so couldn't come and work with me, but were like, I want to come and work with you. But bearing in mind, nobody knew who I was. Yeah. Like, I had just moved into London. And all of a sudden, these people were just, like, open and excited and ready to try. And, um, and I just facilitated this room for a couple of days and uh, and at the end of the two days I remember we were in the pub having a chat and I was like so that's fun is th- you know is that it and they were like no that's definitely not it this is the theatre company and I was like okay right well what are we and people were like I don't know we're an ensemble we're an ensemble of deaf and hearing artists and we just called ourselves a deaf and hearing ensemble at that point always like Oh, we need a better name. <laughs> we ne- we'll come up with a name eventually. We'll get a better name, and it just kind of stuck and <laughs> stayed. And then we just kind of. And then you've just shot that's it. it. Yeah. Well, really, because the deaf and hearing ensemble is such a mouthful, <laughs> <laughs> and and a few people would have thought we were like um, 
kind of community amateurs with oh, that right, as well. Okay. So we had to kind of sexy it up, like we're DH with a DH, D H E. I don't know, and it's just kind of easier. so yeah. D we kind of rebranded as the DH Ensemble. Uh, good question though. Why did you set it up? Thanks. Complete. Accident. Complete accident. But it was just something that I I wanted to push pursue a question. Yeah. yeah. I think it's vital and important. Yeah. And um Well, you know how I feel about it. Yeah. Um I don't I don't think it would have carried on if um it wasn't kind of uh resonating with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of fi- finding its way on in you know in the in the the theater landscape mm-hmm. if you like um it, yeah we're a wee bit different we we approach things in a wee bit different way our our ethos is similar to lots of companies but uh you know it's the people in the room that that, that make the work and and I think that's that's the strength of the DH ensemble um we are an ensemble. Like, um, there's four lead artists: Sophie Stone, Stephen Collins, and Erin Siobhan Hutching, and myself. But then, you know, if we're if we're right at the core, and then there's these people in a circle around us who work with us regularly. You know, there's people like Hermie who's playing Matilda just now, and she's done three. This is her third show with us. Um, and then she's, she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's fab. She's a, she's a total uh, activist as well. You'd love her. Um, well, I've met her when we yeah, did the R&D. Her, yeah. She's the kind of person you want interviewed on this podcast. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then, yeah, and then there's the circle out of that and the circle out of that. And people maybe just pop into our room for a day because they're an interpreter that we've pulled in for one day. But everyone is invited to have a voice in that space everyone's a creative being with all of their own stories so bring it bring it and bring it in many ways in all the ways uh the invitation is absolutely there open invitation so thanks jennifer for giving us your time and you thank need to you very much probably give your daughter some lunch yeah we'll do that uh, and auntie lane's gonna have a cup of tea and hopefully i don't talk too much because i'm gonna have to type this up in the essence of access yes someone's gonna have to I'll do type a type it. up transcript i will don't worry it'll be lovely and cleanly mm. edited oh gorgeous great thank you okay Thanks very much, Jen. Thank you very much, Persistent and Nasty. Woo-hoo! <laughs>